Welcome to Powerful Impact Podcast, where we interview people who have a powerful impact on the community, music, and the culture. Um, I'm your host, SP, and we have Miss Goddess back with us again today. Hey, guys. And this evening, we have the honor to interview YZ. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, and the honors and privileges are all mine. I'm, um, so I'm just going to start with, with just to, because we have a lot of young, young people who haven't been introduced to you. So um, can you tell everybody where you're from? Um, America. I was born in Patterson, <laughs> New Jersey. You know, and the reason I say America is because, uh, all right, this is probably why you think of me as an influencer. Okay, but I'm about to get off the beaten path for just a quick second. You know, always hear like people say things like, uh, you know, we're African American and da 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 da. Well, mm-hmm. we are American. We're American. Um, you know, we are the indigenous people of this country and we've been told a lie. So you ask me where I'm from, I'm from right here. Now we have descendants in Africa, you know, absolutely. But, uh, but we are the indigenous people of this country. So, but I was born in Patterson, New Jersey, just to answer that question, because I know what you meant. <laughs> I'll take it however I, I can get again, it. All right? <laughs> We're here to educate. Okay. However we can get it, we'll take it. Second. As in, however we can get it, we'll take it. Okay. We here to we here to be educated every minute. So there you go. Okay. I'm gonna cool out now though. Okay. <laughs> no more of that. <laughs> so since you're you're from New Jersey, and yeah. what about being from New Jersey, what was the hip hop scene like that, like back then? Um, how far back we going? You mean when, when you first started out? When, yes. When, okay. Um, I take it back to '79. Um, okay. I was just a kid, um, probably eight or nine years old, mm-hmm. and. Hip hop was kind of just in the streets. I mean, you would have small crews in different areas, you know, coming together for the for the sake of argument. Gangs, small gangs of Patterson, you know, you would have, you know, Black Spades and the Dreads. And I was in a crew called the Zodiac Crew. And we just loved beating on the stop sign, stealing candy out of stores and and, you know, rapping. And uh, and I think we love rapping because, you know, out of New York and out of parts of Jersey, there were songs like Rapper's Delight and, you know, you had the Funky Four Plus One and Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five and most of all the Sugar Hill Records, which is also out of New Jersey. People always try to, you know, always New York first. Well, I, and I always go there too, but today I'm going to try something different. Because the last interview I had, we kind of went back and forth on, you know, why doesn't Jersey really get 
is proper too when it comes to hip hop. And I think a lot of it just stems from, you know, Jersey's a laid black page. It's laid back. It's, it's other than like Newark and maybe East Orange and maybe even Camden at times, even though Camden seems kind of laid back. Jersey for the most part is pretty, even Patterson's can be wild depending on where you are. But, you know, depending on where you are, the setting for Jersey is really laid back and people there, we, we, you know, we don't have to wear things on our chest. Um, and plus on the tri-state area, when you say Jersey, a lot of people, if you're not from that area, they think New York anyway, because you, you know, you just like almost like Jersey and, and New York are synonymous because they're connected, you know, by bridges. Anyway, the hip hop scene was, was uh, in that time, you know, was fledgling and you had groups who were, you know, really making noise on small um, radio stations like uh, LIB and you had uh, people like the Awesome Two and even way out in Long Island and Staten Island, you always had radio stations that were playing hip hop. And then somewhere in the eighties, um, mm -hmm. Mr. Magic came about. And uh, when Mr. Magic came about, um, there were other mixed show DJs and there were actually street DJs who were actually doing some things. But when Magic came out, and then Red Alert, of course, and Chuck Chill Out, and that that whole crew. They were kind of the forerun, the front runners of hip hop radio. Um, and then, in a, of course, in the streets, you had up and coming cats like, uh, uh, let's see, outside of Flash, I'm gonna go beyond Flash because you had others that were coming after that. Um, in Jersey, you had DJ Cheese. I don't know if you're familiar with DJ Cheese. Um, he had no, not off the top of my head. Yeah, word of mouth. And you had, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of some people who were not from Jersey, Grand Wizard Theodore and all those dudes before this era who were, mm -hmm. who were making noise. And then when groups like the Funky Four Plus One and Treacherous Three and, you know, mm -hmm. Doug Fresh and all of those people that we were seeing you know, group and, and like Wild Style or uh, later on B Street, you know, though they, they were starting to make motion for us. And like I said, we were just children, but we were listening to this vibration. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people thought it was just going to come and go. My parents being, well, my mother, not my father so much, because my father didn't really speak too much. <laughs> but my mother, um, she always thought that it would be, you know, a fad, like a, a passing phase. And mm -hmm. so when I decided that I was going to rap, because like, I started rapping when I was nine, by the time I put out my first record, I was 16 and, or 17, 16 or 17. And uh, she didn't want me to do it. She was just like, no, this isn't it, school first. And I was like, look, why can't I do both? You know, my father convinced her to let me do it. Mm -hmm. I think um, none of our parents really thought that it was going to grow, especially as quickly as it did. Yeah. It was just like a firestorm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I guess they, they, you know, my parents, they, they lived through the disco era. And I guess because mm-hmm. disco kind of came and went, that's probably thought that of most music, um, that it would come and go. I guess, you know, music changes, blues, even the blues have changed, you know, but, but if it wasn't for the blues, we wouldn't have rock, we wouldn't have soul, we wouldn't have pop. So those, because of those elements, you know, I think that it, it's, it's always best for an artist to pay homage to those people who came before them, because I just think that uh, we get lost in the, uh, the art of, of music. I mean, you know, it's like air and time, it's finite. Chords are finite. You're only going to get a certain amount of chords on a keyboard, on a piano, even 88 keys. You're only going to get a certain amount of chords. And we seem to think that, you know, we reinvent the wheel, but we don't. You know, we kind of just, we go in circles. A lot of people think that the music of today is very different from the past, but it's not. It's, uh, it's the same chords, it's the same attitude. Um, the approach might be a little different, but the approach for music changes every couple of years. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I don't care what genre you're in, whether it be country, whether it be classical, you know, or anything in between country and classical. I mean, the genre, or I can't say the genre, but the, uh, the approach, the approach changes. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, Yz, how did you get your how did you get your name? <laughs> okay. Remember, I mentioned a crew called the uh, Zodiac Crew. Mm-hmm. Back then, and no one knows this because I never mentioned this when I mentioned this, the Zodiac Crew. But back then, I was called Small Fry, and. Uh, Somehow that lasted for maybe all of maybe a year, maybe. And then in my teenage years, when I started to listen to Prince, I guess I was maybe 13, not even in high school yet, probably in eighth grade. And I started to listen to Prince um, very heavily. At this time, the 5% Nation was really prevalent in the streets of New York and Jersey. And so I was studying my lessons similar to everybody else. Never claimed 5%, you know, even though 5%ers would probably say that's different because I studied and, you know, I know my lessons. Um, so why? Why itself? Why is a question often, often asked by those who don't know? And Z is one, two, three or zigzag zig or knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, which is the answer to the question. Also, um, outside of outside of the lessons, why is the beginning of the end? And Z is the end and the beginning of the new. It's very small, very small name, but I like that though. That's 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 very interesting. Small and powerful. Yeah, it's like the question and the answer. 
the beginning and the end, the end and the beginning. That's, that's pretty deep. Yeah. Um, I've noticed that they're now in different regions of the world. There's several YZs now, which is kind of crazy. Um, I remember, uh, was this last year, that right before COVID, um, A3C, which is about to come up again in a, maybe a couple of days. Um, <clears throat> are you familiar with um, um, Just Blaze? Yes. Okay, Just Blaze is from my hometown. He's from Patterson, New Jersey as well. So is like, uh, if you remember King Sun, King Sun's from Patterson too. Anyway, Just Blaze was uh, the keynote speaker at one of these, uh, I don't know, one of these conferences during the A3C. And after he and um, the, uh, the commentator for that evening was DJ Jelly from Atlanta. And Jelly and I are cool. So Jelly notices me, even though I'm like way in the back of the room. But just and I have never met. So they ask people if they want to ask questions. They say, state your name and ask whatever question that you have. So I stood up, I said, hey, my name is YZ and blah, 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 blah. And Just had this weird face, like he you know, had this really, really weird face. He answered the question and then afterwards, Jelly invited me to go behind the stage <clears throat> to meet him. I swear when I, when I, I have pictures of this moment, but Just almost lost it. He was just like, I can't even believe that's you. He said, when you said you were YZ back there, I was about to get in your ass because there's only one YZ. <laughs> Pause. <laughs> and you're not him. <laughs> and then when you realize it was me, I, I, you know, it's weird how you don't know who your fans are. You don't, you don't know who you touch. But he was pissed because other people use YZ. And there's only one YZ. You know? That's right. That's right. I wonder what those people they'll tell you what their name it means. I wonder. It seems like everybody has like a very deep meaning behind their name. You know, I think when. So you know other YZs. No, I don't know any other YZs. Oh, okay. <laughs> nah, nah, I don't. Um, but speaking of YZ, tell us the story about the moment you, or maybe not the moment, or maybe like the artist that you discovered that just changed everything for you. And you were like, you know what? I'm feeling this. Um, the first time, the, the, first time the first time, the first time I was feeling hip hop music. Yeah. I or discovered it. Like yesterday. Um, I was in East Orange. I was visiting my, my family, my aunts, her children. Um, and two of my younger cousins, um, I, I guess I don't have to mention who they are, right? Two, one was a male, one's a female. I don't have to say their names, right? No. Okay. Anyway, we were walking to the store. And when we left the store, they started singing this song. It was rap. I had never heard anything like it. Yet they're younger than me. One is probably two years younger than me, and the other's probably a year younger than me, somewhere, maybe three and two. So anyway, 
and singing this song and I'm feeling like an alien, you know, I'm like, how are these, these, these two younger than me? And they've noticed the song word for word. <laughs> and uh, I swear, like, I mean, I felt like my parents had sheltered me under like a rock or something because how's it that my cousins are so hip and I'm not. <laughs> and uh, what song was this? Anyway, the song they were singing was Rapper's Delight. And wow. I guess anybody and their mother could have been singing that song because the song is so ABC, you know, it's, it's so simple that anyone can learn it. Even you at, you know, seven and eight years old or whatever you were when, when we were listening to the song and you were singing it and I didn't know what the hell you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Anyway, by the time I got back to East Orange on our next visit, and we would go there periodically. I was living in Patterson, and East Orange is probably only like 30 minutes away from there. So, you know, my mother, she she had a sister there. That was her sister. We would go and visit her. By the time I got back to EO, I knew every word to that song. I had to know it because I was not going to be shown up by my little cousins. And... I caught the bug. I mean, I caught the bug from there. Like I, I, I started writing very early. I wasn't writing seriously until maybe, like I said, maybe I was thirteen. But I was writing from the time I was nine to the time I was thirteen. Between the time I was thirteen to sixteen, I was recording my first record. By seventeen, eighteen, I had my first production company. By late 18, I had my first record company. So I was like one thing after another. Like, I mean, I, I wasn't looking at a, I wasn't looking at hip hop as this small thing. I was looking at, looking at it from the perspective that, hey, this could be my livelihood. This can be a business. Yes. And so I got very, very early on. I love the music and the culture. And I love the fact that it opened up a lane for business. Do you still know the the words and the lyrics to that song? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I don't think there's a person on the face of this earth that doesn't know that song. You probably know it in German and Japanese, and you know, and, and you know, you can probably go to Shanghai, China, and they know it too. You can't go. You can't go there. I bet you there's a, a Swahili version of that song somewhere. You know, you can't. It's hard to not know that record. I. I, um, I for real, like that's like a pinnacle, I think, in humankind. I think everyone, just about anybody knows that. You hear that song and you already know it's time to get, you know, get busy on the dance floor or something. <laughs> um, Sugar what Hill, the Sugar Hill Gang did not make me want to actually make records, though. So. Okay. Because I, I was real young. Um, you know, I like what they were doing, but remember, I was still listening to other people, like Funky 4 Plus 1, Treacherous 3, um, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, mm-hmm. uh, Word of Mouth, um, uh, Dougie Fresh, um, the Crash Crew. I mean, there, there were there were a number of crews that were out there. Double Trouble, and you know, the, the, there were numerous groups that were out there that I would get my hands on these little tapes and. The record that really changed everything for me was written by a guy from New York and written by a guy from Jersey. 
and that record was called The Message. And um, even though I was still just a kid, the message, the message showed me that you could paint the streets on record, that you could literally take your your story and 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 paint it and and show people pictures of your life. Where Sugar Hill Gang didn't really do that to me, other than you know after school I took a dick in the tool and we just really on the wall, you know. Stuff that, that that's about it, but but it wasn't serious. It was they 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 were clowning, and I and I think that that's what people thought it was going to be a fad because they just thought that uh, the music was just too too fun, and it still kind of had remnants of disco in it, where the even though I think Grandmaster Flash and them dressed like they were from, you know, Studio Fifty Four and mm. you know tight pants and. <laughs> disco shit and rhinestone and whatever the hell they were wearing and boots and all that other shit. I just, uh, it was something about the lyrics <clears throat> to that, White Lines, um, another one, um, don't push me cause I'm close to the edge. <laughs> that, those those work, like shit like that, that is the music that that resonated the most to me. Um, you know, so when I made music, it was never really for fun. Like it was, I wanted to paint pictures and, um, and they, and those pictures always to me had to resonate real, real life, like things that are happening, you know? Um, and so I just learned to do that. And then somewhere along the line, Slick Rick came out. And when Slick Rick came out, um, with the great adventures of Slick Rick, I was just like, oh my God, like this is it right here. This is exactly what I'm talking about because he kind of, he balanced both sides of it. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he, he painted the streets in a way that it could still be fun too, but serious all in the same, uh, all in the same sentence. And a lot of people couldn't do that. Like, I mean, it couldn't, like Melly Mel, when they talked about the streets, it was always serious. It was nothing playful mm -hmm. about it. But when Slick Rick came out, and it was Dana Dane too, but Dana Dane, he didn't paint the streets like Slick Rick did to me, even though I like Dana Dane. Yeah, Dana uh, Dane. You know, Slick Rick painted the streets in a way that he made he made the streets fun, but he always kept it serious with, you know, records like Hey Young World and, you know, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but even treat her like a prostitute was like, when I listened to that, it blew my mind. I'm like thinking, man, like who, who goes through this? Like who goes through a situation where you gotta, you gotta treat a girl like a prostitute cause she ain't treating you right. Or you just can't trust her, you know? Mm -hmm. And think about it. That, that's the day, ain't it? Like, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, we, we, we can't even stay married today or date more than three months today or, you know, we losing our folks to, you know, to murder, to drugs, to alcohol, to everything except for, you know, no one wants to come and be a family unit no more. But when I listen to Slick Rick, Slick Rick painted the family unit very perfectly for me. I don't know if everybody else heard it, but when I listen to Children's Story, come on, that's a, that's a heart 
a wrenching story. It's like mm-hmm. you got a small kid running from the police trying to figure out his way. And uh, I'm just like, yo, you know, this is what I need right now. This is it. Um, P.E. I like P.E. Um, but I like P.E. because they were just noisy as fuck. Like, I mean, I just, they were just... They would irritate my my senses, and um, you know, so there were there were groups that really, you know, resonated with me. You know, from you know the mid to late '80s, and by the time I put my first record out in '87, you know, I was, you know, I wasn't really ready yet. My, my very first record, I wasn't ready. I, you know, I, you know, I was still trying to figure it out. You know, but you have Run DMC there, you have LL Cool J there, you had the Fat Boys there, you had, you know, different groups that were that were, you know, coming up in that 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 time frame. Um, and Russell Simmons was trying to figure his way in the game. Mm-hmm. But by the time I was twenty one, I was on Broadway and Houston in my own office. You get me? So like I I you know, I, I was very much a part of the culture, and I really didn't realize how much of the, the culture I was a part of. I, I mean, I didn't realize how much um, I was a part of the culture until, you know, later on. Because when you're doing it, you're just doing it. But later on, you start to you're in the moment. You're, you know, yeah, you start you start to yeah. you start to get interviews from people, and they say, "Hey, don't you realize that you know? Don't you realize?" I'm like, <laughs> well, if you say so, you know. But the, but the truth is, if I could pay homage to those who come before me, then I have to recognize where I fit in the picture. And um, not to say that I think I'm overshadowing anything in the picture, but the very fact that I even have a small stripe in the picture is enough for me. When, um... That has a long (laughs) window. No, that was was a great answer. I appreciate you explaining that. People uh-huh. want to hear that. I said, I appreciate you explaining that because people like to hear those kind of stories about how it all started. You know what I mean? When was that moment when you were like, hey, this is, this is for me? Let me ask you a question. What opportunity came along that made you realize you can make money off of music? What, what opportunity came along for what? What opportunity came along that made you realize you can make money off of music? Okay. Um, uh, let's see. There was a guy by the name of Duke. Duke was a really, I didn't realize how big he was at the time because he, you know, he took to me for some reason. But, uh, He was a big hustler. Mm-hmm. And uh, Duke would have these huge parties that he would throw all year round. And you, you kind of have to, you know, have your ear to the streets to, to know when he was going to throw one of these parties. But if you missed it, then you were going to miss a good time. Mm-hmm. So anyway... One of the places where Duke used to throw parties was this place called the Lawrence Center. You know, the Lawrence Center is uh, 
it's on the outskirts of Trenton. So you got Trenton and you got Ewing and you got Lawrence and all of these other little townships in that area. So anyway, um, I used to go up in the Lawrence Center and, you know, there's always somebody fighting and doing all kinds of dumb shit in the Lawrence Center. But at the end of the day, it was always fun for me to be around that element. And one day, um, this guy comes from the back of the DJ booth, taps me on my shoulder. He was like, YZ, um, yo, man, you need to come to the crib. Let's make a demo. And uh, I was kind of shocked that he knew me. He was just like, yo, yeah, of course I know you. And the reason he had known me, because there was only a handful of us who, you know, were really ass deep and, and we were passing knee deep at this point. We were ass deep in, in hip hop. And there was some crews out of that area that would every weekend, you know, when breaking was real heavy, they would meet at this place called the Quaker Bridge Mall. And the Quaker Bridge Mall is on Route 1 in Jersey between Princeton and Trenton, kind of dead center, okay? Mm -hmm. And um, remember, I said I like to paint pictures. <laughs> you know, I'm starting to be yes, like. Paint, paint the picture. Paint the picture for us. So be anyway, very detailed because we want to know. <laughs> hopefully, I'm not off the beaten path. But uh, go ahead. When he when he tapped my shoulders, he told me how he knew me, you know, from battling and you know just coming to you know the Lawrence Center and just you know my name had kind of, and I wasn't from Trenton. But my name was in Trenton, which was kind of, you know, when I look back on it now, I didn't even know that my name was in Trenton, to be honest with you, until this time. Now, I knew people like Duke, and then they knew who I was because I was just one of those heads that was always around and wasn't afraid to grab the mic if, you know, somebody wanted to spit. I'm with it. So anyway, he asked me to come and, and make a demo at his house. I make it to his house. We do a demo. And all he did was he took Trans Europe Express. He played that and he played, uh, I want to say one of, uh, one of, uh, uh, what's the name of the group? It's Art of Noise. Mm -hmm. I think he might have mixed Art of Noise and Trans Europe Express. Well, that might even be the same group. <laughs> anyway, so he's okay. playing this, and I rap for like maybe something that I have written, a, a song I have wrote called I'm Bad. <clears throat> and this is before LL's I'm Bad. This is mm -hmm. probably during LL's radio time, so this is well before uh, <laughs> Michael Jackson's I'm Bad. Anyway. So you're the original I'm Bad. I don't want to say I'm the original anything. <laughs> they were probably working on you know, it's like this. Like you, you now can't we know for anything because thoughts are just like light rays and radio waves. We we're passing on all these things on to each other. Now from now on, I'm gonna be like, I'm bad. Started with YZ, not with Michael, I mean, that, you can, not you with LL. You, you can listen to that right now. Like I mean, you, anyway, I was influenced by LL and Run DMC and and everybody else before that. So this record is to me very hard. So I can see if LL got wind to this and wanted to do on bad, I don't, I'm not blaming him because 
you can hear his influence in that record, even though he didn't write on Bad Before This. Oh, wow. Um, okay. At the time, at the time, um, like I said, I was probably 16, 17. I was still in school. I was still in high school. I hadn't even made it to college yet. And so... Uh, you was a youngin. When this... Uh, when we made this demo, somehow this demo made it to a guy named Woody Wood. Not Woody Wood from Three Times Dope. It's another DJ out of Philadelphia. Now, mind you, realize where we are. In New York, in New York, you got WBLS and KISS. In Philadelphia, you had Power 99 and um, WDAS at the time. And then in the middle, you got other, like Long Island, um, LIB, and then you got in Princeton, you got WPRB, and then you got uh, uh, Awesome 2, I forget what station they were on, even though I've been there before, but whatever station they were on, you had these kind of pirate stations too that were happening, or college stations that seemed very much like pirate stations because they were playing hip hop when nobody else was playing hip hop. Um, so anyway, um, when Tony invited me to do that and I did this and this record made it to uh, Woody Wood, Woody Wood, he came to see me and we became cool. He somehow gave that record to a guy named Jeff Mills. Jeff Mills, Jeff Mills was Lady B's mixed DJ. Mm -hmm. So now, you know, back then, Friday and Saturday was really the only times that you could listen to hip hop. Um, if you weren't listening to it on in New York stations, you had to get it from Philadelphia or one of those smaller stations. Right. Well, where we was, where we were located, you could get both. Right where I was in Jersey, were close enough to Philadelphia to get all of the Philadelphia stations, and you were close enough to New York where you can get all of at least the Manhattan stations. You might not have been able to pick up you know, all of the Long Island stations, but every now and again, you could get that too. And um, anyway, um, Jeff got in touch with me and said, hey, I, I wanna meet you. And so- What were you thinking school, were you when he did that, when he called you, dad, what was going through your mom, mind? Huh? What was going through your mind when he called you and he said he wants to meet you? like? How did that make you feel? It made me, you know, to be honest with you at the time, because I didn't feel anything. I didn't know what to feel. Okay. Um, in hindsight, I was, I was happy because of what happened, but I didn't really think much of it at the time. Okay. What surprised me most of all, when my dad took me to the Dunkin' Donuts to meet him, I got out the car, my dad stayed in the car, just kept his eye on me while I sat in the car with this man. And what what struck me was when I got in his car, he had my demo on his car. And so right. I was like thinking, wow, like, I mean, that, that's different. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you know, I, you, I'm yeah. just a kid. You get me? And yeah, but yeah. somehow my tape made it to this man's hands so much that he wanted to meet me to talk to me about something. Right. What? I had no clue. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so I get in his car and he says, hey, uh, I like this right. I like this right here. I like this recording. Um, I like to make a record with you. And I was just like, well, 
I got to talk to my parents about it. So I get back, I, I shake his hand. You know, I'm still not happy about anything. I'm just kind of just, you know, just really trying to take it all in. I get back in the car and say to my dad, hey, that man wants to make a record with me. <laughs> you got to tell your parents, like, can I, can I make a record, mom mm -hmm. and dad? You got to ask your parents, like, your mom and dad, can I make a record? This guy wants to make a record with me. Well, see, even then, like, I mean, my mind wasn't really where it probably should have been because mm -hmm. I know how my mother is. And so while he's talking to me, I'm thinking about my mom and what she's going to say when I go home. <laughs> right, right. So anyways, I tell my dad, my dad is quiet. He says something like, okay, we go home. I tell my mother and right away she says, no, you're not going to do that. And it wasn't like my heart was broken or anything, but in the back of my mind, I'm like thinking, well, shit, why not? Like, why can't yeah. I do it? Mm -hmm. right. And my father must have already known that I wanted to do it, even though I didn't have like all this great enthusiasm, all this great enthusiasm at the time about it, because he pulled it to the side. I think they went into the bedroom for a short period of time and came out and I got the, the go ahead to do it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, my dad, he's, he's a man of, you know, very few words, but he, I think he must've said to her something to the fact like, Hey, you can't, you can't hold him back. You gotta mm -hmm. let him do what you gotta do. And gotta let him, gotta let him so, breathe, mom. <laughs> the age, the age old question that huh? I've been getting from the youngsters is about freestyles yeah. and the argument is a freestyle because they've watched all of these freestyles where they're reading um reading the lyrics off their phones so they have this long debate going that a freestyle can be either written or off the dome what's your opinion on that one because this has been some serious arguments. Well, I think that a freestyle is something that comes off the head. I mean, uh, at least that's what it, what it was. Um, I can see what people mean, um, you know, because they might have just wrote something and they freestyling. But I figure like this: if you if you if you wrote something and you've studied it, and you know it word for word, it's no longer a freestyle. Not in my, not in my eyes, it's not. Now, if you incorporate other things to it because you're just feeling it or you're in the moment, then I can see that you started out, you know, with some vibration that you wrote and you ended it with a freestyle. That can happen. But uh, I, I think that somewhere along the some, somewhere along the lines, you're gonna have to be able to pull something from the air, or pull or hope God is in the room and, and giving you inspiration or something, or you know, hope that you know Slick Rick's vibration is in the <laughs> or treated like a prostitute's in the air or whatever. Right? You know, 
Yeah, we've always been. Um, I, I've always uh, seen it as something off the dome. It was a skill. It it not everybody can do it. It's not, um, and it's it's part of mastering your craft to know how to pull stuff off the dome. And so I always think it's it's just another way of diluting. Let's talk about. <laughs> What is the Black Bank? Um, if I talk about the Black Bank, it's hard to talk about the Black Bank without because I think we missed something. The mm. Black Bank is just a company that I started, TBB. Um, it's an investment company. Mm -hmm. um, but business is not new to me. Um, the very first company that I started um, happened very shortly after I put that first record out. Um, which was Two-Tone Productions with myself and Tony DePula. So I, the Black Bank is really just an extension of, you know, all of those ideas and, you know, successes and failures that culminated into the Black Bank. What I'd like to do at some point, and I try to be very mindful of it and, and always keep my mind on it, um, it only takes $20 million to actually create a bank. Um, and with crypto, because I've, I've been like a part of the crypto world for about four years, I'm hoping that somewhere along the line that that happens, that uh, I'm actually able to, um, either with my own money or with a group of people, start a bank. So, you know, I know there are other you know, black banks, there are other black establishments, you know, who are into lending. But um, with all of the money that we have in our community, I would have thought that somebody in the hip hop community would have stepped up and, and took that to that level. But I just think that uh, we just lose sight of so many different things. Like we, you know, everybody's kind of spinning the same wheel. And I always mm -hmm. wanted to be just somebody doing something different. Um, when I first started my production company back then, it, it was a fluke. That guy, Tony D, who tapped me on the shoulders, you know, I went to him and said, yo, um, after I put this record out, Jeff was playing it on the radio. I went to him and was like, yo, we need to start a company. We should start a production company. He was like, yeah, we should call it Two Tone. I was just like, it's, that's exactly what we should call it. Hell yeah. Yep. And so we got in the car, went down to City Hall, registered Two-Tone Productions. And Two-Tone Productions, if you look at my records, Two-Tone Productions is on there. If you look at Poor Righteous Teachers, Two-Tone Productions is on there. As well mm -hmm. as, you know, Two-Tone is on a, a lot of other things too. So what I'm saying to you is the Black Bank is really just an extension of all of those ideas, all of those you know, ups and downs and failures and, you know, um, getting back up and starting back over. And the Black Bank is really supposed to be, you know, the culmination of all of those things. And so, you know, I wear it like a badge because I believe that our strength is in a melanated, you know, us being melanated and the fact that we are true, true generators of culture, 
and we spend more money than anybody on the face of this earth. Right. So, um, I've always thought that the financial education has been sorely lacking. Absolutely. In our communities. Um, what are some some of the simple some simple advice that you could give someone who maybe working has that extra hundred hundred fifty dollars after they pay all their bills and buy groceries and all the stuff that you need to do just to survive, but they have that extra hundred dollars. What do you suggest? They just do with that hundred bucks. Yeah. Um, there's several things that you can do. Um, you can invest in cryptocurrency. Um, but before you do that, do you know? Make sure you do your due diligence. Um, you can take that hundred dollars, and you can put it in, you know, a small uh, uh, money market account, and and let it grow. And as you are gaining more funds, you can constantly put money in that. And then once you get it to a particular point, you can use it to to you know, get a loan from the bank against the money that you have. Um, you know, it's very easy to come up with a good idea and start right out of your kitchen with a couple yeah. of hundred dollars. Um, you know, I, I got all kinds of stuff here. <laughs> Man, if I just were to turn this, this phone around, you would see like this shit everywhere. Because at the end of the day, you know, even though they have, you know, we we've, we've been dealt a pretty bad hand. Those failures have made us strong. Those those walls have made us strong. And the very fact that we, if we can kind of just discipline ourselves a little more to set a goal, focus on that goal, and realize that it's going to take, even if it takes mentorship, mentorship. You got to get you a mentor, somebody that's done it, somebody that you trust, somebody that you believe in. And not necessarily that you have to take all of their advice, but you can take their experiences and and learn from them so you can kind of avoid making those those same mistakes. Because if you trust this person and they've been through such and such, then I don't want to jump, you know, down, you know, a well just to break my leg, you know what I'm saying? If, mm -hmm. if you know my mentor has done it, I think mentorship is is very important for business. Um, most successful business people have mentors, but okay. that hundred bucks that you have could actually be the start of an empire. And realize this: money is not real, so you got to kind of look at money as energy you gotta you gotta look at it as a a inner energy and when i say that i mean if you can save a hundred dollars you can save a thousand dollars you can save a thousand dollars you can save ten thousand dollars and so on and so forth 
because money's not real. We stay and, you know, we allow the stupid box of all types, TV, phones to tell us what to do, how to walk, how to talk, what to buy, how much to buy, when to buy, when not to buy, when to move, when to dance, when to shuffle, when to, it's, it's mind boggling after a while and you have to stop, slow down and realize that that system is winning because they have fooled the world into believing that we got to spend every dime. We got to move and shake when they mm -hmm. say move. And it makes it to where our communities, black and brown communities, are paying for our economy to, you know, survive. And, and you know, they'll give us, you know, these stimulus checks only because they know that we're only going to throw it right back in the economy. And instead of just using those chances to really, really get behind a good idea, stick with the idea mm -hmm. to fruition, and you'll, you'll be surprised at what you can do. The phone, computers, like it, we didn't have all of these things when, when music started. We had to get out and, and do it. The phone yeah. has made it to where I could sit in this room all day and make money, it, it, you know, because I understand that money's not real. And because it's not real, it's not God to me. And because it's not God to me, I control it. I control as it goes. I control as it comes. And right. so mm -hmm. um, I believe that if you have $100, the first thing I would do is even before you take it to a large establishment, get you a little bank or a little safe and put it in there and see how long you can let that money sit in there without you touching it, without you having to even worry about it or think about it. Because as you start to get this, this uh, discipline, as you put more and more money into that safe, you'll realize that your zero starts at the safe. You could have a million dollars in that safe, but your zero starts at the safe because that's what it is. It's a safe. It's a safe for tomorrow. It's a safe for your family's future. It's not really about you at that point. It's about yeah. what you are going to leave behind. That's your legacy right there. That's your legacy. Your legacy could be in paintings. Your le legacy could be in real estate. Your legacy could be in a business or your legacy could be in, you know, all kinds of fine art or and nowadays you got, you know, NFTs, which is, a, I'm, you know, just started a, a new company with NFTs. At the end of the day, I just think that you have to start somewhere. And $100 sounds like a good start to me, you know, because you got to start somewhere. But if you only have $100, I think what you should learn to do is discipline yourself with that 100 bucks. Words of wisdom from YZ. So since we're on that topic of, of finances, um, we've watched so many of our legends pass away. And when we look, we see all of these GoFundMe pages and um, we realize that Hey, a lot of our heroes, they never had a recording because it was before 
people were actually recording and thinking um, you could actually make money from hip hop. What do you think that the hip hop community can can do in order to ensure that when our legends pass, that we have the same honor and as other genres where they aren't, um, the family doesn't have to get a GoFundMe page. The ins um, health care, um, those kind of things that that people seldom think about, but then until they need it. Well, I, I think one one good way that we can remedy that is there should be a hip hop trust. I mean, uh, and if everybody that was, you know, we, we paid dues to ASCAP and, and everything else, what would be crazy is if, you know, you could do it with crypto. You ain't even got to do it with like, you know, just this, this, you know, regular monetary system that we use now because that's in a while, that's not even going to be even here anymore. It's going to be something else. But I think that uh, a hip hop trust would be something that we could do to to rectify that. Um, because if everybody, can you imagine like there are <laughs> tens of thousands of artists around the world, if everybody just, you know, put a small amount into this trust monthly and that money was earning monies and you had, you know, you know, a business conglomerate that was there to utilize some of those funds to go and earn other monies. Whenever somebody was in trouble, you know, they could have already had, uh, you know, money for their funeral. They could have had money for their homes. They could have had money for loans to start other businesses. But um, music in itself has taught most artists to be very selfish. Most artists are very, very selfish to be, uh, to boot. Most uh, athletes are very selfish to boot. And I just think that it's a conditioning that that has happened, and it goes back well well before you know this whole idea of slavery, which never really truly existed in the way that we think. Um, I always figure like this: one thing you can be sure of is in this school system, um, the school system that never wanted us to be a part of it in the first place. And when we were doing things from a segregated standpoint, when things were really, really looking up for us, they decided that they didn't want us to have that either. So the government decided that they wanted to um, integrate because if you integrate, then you get to control the minds of the people because they are coming in from a subservient standpoint. We're not coming in evenly coming in getting spit at and kicked at and thrown books at and laughed at and you know pissed on and and beaten up and battered and bruised at every corner and see that is what's resonating in today's society so it made that black and brown community very stiff and hard and you know very protective over the things that they they have and they won because we, we, we lost ourselves in that. When we are free and giving people, 
and we're very smart and innovative. And if we realize that we didn't really come from slavery, that that, you know, slavery was a lie to, that they, okay, people are gonna ask me what am I talking about? Okay, let's think about this. Okay. In the 1800s, they had ships, right? Mm-hmm. These mm-hmm. ships had sails. Right. And the way those ships moved was wind, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I'm talking, I'm trying to speak to your logical mind right now. I'm with you. We're with somewhere you. Along the lines, <laughs> somewhere along the lines, we're with you. That 13 million people from Africa were shipped to Haiti here and, and other places over a very short period of time. And so I start to think, okay, they told us that Jesus is my savior. And when they painted Jesus to me, they painted him in a way that even though he comes from a region of the world where he can't look like they painted him, they painted him that way because they wanted us to believe it. If they teach it in the school, it has to be a lie. Why? Because they laughed at us, they spit at us, and the only thing they teach us in school about our history starts at slavery. Okay, who's lying here? Before Columbus got here, there had to be Asians and Africans already here. If that wasn't the case, there wouldn't have been Native Americans or indigenous people already here. You can't discover something that has already been discovered. <laughs> Meg, yeah. You're okay, right about so that. Getting back to why we think the way we do, we have to free ourselves of the deceit and the lies and the trickery that's in front of us. And we have to we have to clean those blinders away so we understand that it's okay to, to look at yourself and love yourself. It's okay to look at somebody that look at looks like you and not want to bust a cap in his ass just because he looks like you. I'm like thinking to myself, like, you know, they have a soul. And I, I always say us, even though my eyes are wide open and my spirit is wide open, because until we are there and as a unified front, you know, it, it still affects me. It affects my children. It affects your children. It affects all of our lives. Because right. we keep saying, you know, oh, this is a white man's world. And, like, who said that? Who made that up? And who made you perpetuate that? Because you put it out there and you make yourself believe these things. And they're all smiling to the bank. They're going all the way to the bank about it because they just said, you know, well, shit. They keep killing themselves. Hey, let them do it. Hey, you know, we can, you know, we, we can let this one over here do the same crime as that one. And yeah, he's used to going to prison. So we'll put him in jail for 25, 30 years and we'll slap this dude on the wrist. And it's okay. Right. Well, it's not okay. And until we as a unit realize that realize realize that uh, it's not okay and that we're not gonna stand for this shit no more. And we ain't gotta be angry about it. We just gotta be steadfast and unmovable about it and don't take any shit because you have your melanin, you have your your uh, your minds and your ingenuity 
and you've made it with nothing, absolutely nothing. They took everything away from you. They'll let people from other countries come here and get subsidies and won't give you a bit of retribution. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, until we as a unified front sit down and say, hey, wait a minute, let's clear the table of the bullshit Let's clear the table of the pimps. Let's clear the table of the hustler attitude. Let's clear the table of, you know, the, the banker's attitude. Let's clear the, 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 the air about the Western way of doing things. And let's figure out a way to get our minds together and realize that our culture runs the world, not just America. You right. can go anywhere anywhere on the face of this planet and i've been around this motherfucker twice <laughs> and everywhere i go i see me mm-hmm. these kids out here think like they're doing something new i look at them and their hairstyles are mine i did it and i'm not saying just me i'm saying everybody that came before you it's been there done that the clothes right. you wear we've done it you think tight clothes or you just made that shit up <laughs> right you know I mean, you right. gotta, you gotta, you gotta get off the bullshit for a minute and realize that if you if you're gonna continue to believe in the lies and the falsehoods, that you know, and you're not gonna educate yourself, and you're gonna just believe what they said without doing your own, you know, uh, research or your own due diligence. Hey, the preacher told me. The teacher told me. It's funny that they both run. The preacher and the teacher told me this is what it is, so this is what it must be. Well, to be honest with you, if the preacher and the teacher told you, you already know it's a lie, period. <laughs> you already know it's a lie. They lied to you, period. If the Catholics told you, if it came from Rome, it was a lie. <laughs> I hate to say that, man, but it's a lie. Italy was ran through by the Moors. And they are pissed off that black people came in and tore that ass up. And, and they're more ghetto than we'll ever be. But, you know, you know, we gotta wear the brunt of all the shit. And another thing, uh, this will be the last thing I'll say to this. You ever look at an African, somebody that's born, raised, brought up in Africa. And I don't care if he's mm-hmm. light skinned. I don't care if he's dark as cold. Mm-hmm. You notice that their their features don't really match ours. You might see small inklings of something. I mean, because the skin tone might be dark. But you ever look at the, your features and look at somebody's from from Africa's features, and you're saying, "Are you sure I came from Africa?" Well, everything started there. That's true. Mm-hmm. But you ever notice the differences? I'm asking you. Not until you find out now. You ever like notice, now you ever notice that I our hair is different? Our cheekbones are different. Our eyes are different. Even our bone structure is different. Have Why do you think that, that is? Why, why do you think that is? Huh? 
Why do you think that is? Well, we are from America. We are not African people. Our descendants are from Africa, and we might have descendants from Asia too. But we are native indigenous people of this country, and that's why our hair looks like this. That's why our skin, our, our, we look different. Nothing to take away from Africans. I love Africa. I love Africans. I love the fact that I have African in me. I love that. But so do Germans. Germans have African in them too. Can't yeah. tell them that though. Can't tell them that. <laughs> they want to spit in your face. You go to Rome, you go to Italy, they're so mad at us, they don't even know what to do because the Moors ran through their ass, had children, dark, black, cold children. They can't stand that shit. And then, you know, you hear, you know, poor white person here in America say that we are the cause of all of their dismay and we are the cause of all trouble. And I'm like thinking, uh, this country wouldn't even fucking be here if it wasn't for us. What the fuck are you talking about right now? I'm lost. <laughs> Right, I'm right. I'm, I'm completely fucking baffled right now. You know, so it's like, that's look, a I don't want to make this a that's white a, that's, huh? that's a, I said, that's a very strong point. I like how you explain that. You know? Yeah, I that, just think that we need to get outside of the lies. We need to, to look past the lies. And I agree. I, I, do, I have we, a... There's this mentally, this mental thing happening with us that has been perpetuated so much over and over and over again that it becomes, you know, they say perception is stronger than fact. I truly believe that that's the truth. But guess yes. what? It doesn't make it fact, though. No, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. No, it doesn't. You know, so people need to get outside of the lies. They didn't tear down uh, Black Wall Street and Rosewood because you know, they they were, you know, we went and did something wrong. You know, they always try to say, hey, well, you know, you came over here and raped our women. And come on, man, we know better than that. Think about this. White people, re gentrification happens about every 15 to 20 years, right? 15, 20 years, they, they get into a city, they move the fuck out, and then they move back in. About 15 to 20 years, it happens. I, I'm 52, and I've seen it happen at least two and a half times in my lifetime, and we're going through another one right now. Most cities yeah. are going through this, right? Right. Becky and Tom could move in our neighborhood, and guess what? They can they can jog and ride their bikes in the hood, and guess what? The hood is going to not do a motherfucking thing. Why? Because we're shook when it comes to white people. We're shook. We can kill you know, Raheem that looked just like me because we, you know, we thinking, hey, we might get away with that one. But if we kill Becky, we got a problem. And see, we need to get out of that. Why not kill Becky? If you're going to kill Raheem, <laughs> why not kill Becky? <laughs> I know I sound crazy, but you know, I'm, I'm just saying if you're a killer, kill so everybody. So why is he? Let me ask you a question. Cause I love this one of my this is one of my favorite songs by you, um, Master Plan. With the pandemic and everything going on right now, right? Pandemic, world crisis, all of that. What do you think the master plan is? What is the master plan, YZ? 
I think we just kind of touch bases. I mean, think about it. All right. The Buddhists have figured it out. They figured in silence, you'll find who you are. This was a time for people to, you know, for great introspection. I'm not saying you should sit in the house and, you know, and cover your mouth up and because you need to get sun. You need to get exercise. You need to get your ass out the house. They had people shook. They caused more people to die than, than had to die because they kept people away from the sun by saying, hey, close yourself up in a room, you know, breathing, you know, carbon monoxide and, and kill yourself rather than go outside, get some vitamin D, get some exercise, you know, keep your, you know, eat healthy. If you're obese, get that weight down, get your mindset. It's a great time for people to connect in a place where, like, think about it. You got places like, uh, what's the name of that damn um, clubhouse? And, you know, even, you know, these yeah. uh, forums, mm -hmm. you got different forums where people can get together yeah. and share ideas without having to be in the same room and they can get their feelings off after they've actually sat down and thought about it. Because when the, when the wheels are spinning and you, you know, you're trying to pay the bills and you're at work and you're tired and you're going to sleep, you get right back up to do the same thing. You don't really have enough time to sit down and relax and think about where you are. This perpetual motion. I think that to me, now is the time for true revolution. And it's happening right before our eyes. We're watching the monetary world change right before our eyes. We're showing the world that money is what we decide it's going to be, that they lie to you even about that. They keep telling you to chase the bag, chase the bag, chase the bag. But I'm like thinking, maybe you should be chasing peace. And I don't necessarily mm -hmm. mean peace yeah. and goodwill for all men. I mean, peace within yourself. Because yeah. if you find peace within yourself, then you automatically will, re that will automatically resonate into your neighborhood and into your city and then into your country or state country and then on to the world so it'll affect everybody around you it'll affect everybody around you just and, like and hate does yeah yeah just yeah. like these lies that are being perpetuated to us day in and day out come on they, they mold and shape us people say hey man you know if it wasn't for your music man i wouldn't have got out of college and i listen to that and i'm like thinking to myself wow man music is powerful yes poetry Very is much. powerful Words are powerful. Well, if, if you can really say that in one sentence, then realize every time you say it's a white man's world, that's power. You power giving, behind words. Giving power your power words. up to a ghost. Yeah. Truth be told, and this is, people here that are probably gonna hate me for this. There are no white people on the face of this earth. There are Edomites on this, on this earth for sure but there are no white people on this earth. I, I, That's white. Right. I've never seen a person that color, ever. 
white is a mindset and they knew exactly what they were doing because they, as you all know, Webster says that white is pure. Mm-hmm. White is pure. It's free from blemishing. It's not evil. When those people have caused more damage to this fucking world than anybody I know. You go and look at that motherfucking uh, uh, Congo. Mm-hmm. I didn't do that shit. Yeah. My folks didn't do that shit. They keep fucking with the rainforest and wonder why we can't live. Those viruses were in that forest and they opening up us to all kinds of shit. The pilgrims came to this country and gave all kinds of diseases to the people that were here that were free from blemish. You get me? I get you. Guayzi, that leads me to a question. That leads me to a question. And you believed it. Mm -hmm. They told you that you were black. And I'm sorry. My beard is black. True enough. But my skin color is not. My skin color is not. To be honest with you, I've seen some pretty dark motherfuckers in my life. (laughs) But I've never actually seen a black person. I've seen somebody maybe blue. I've never actually seen a black person in my life. We need to stop telling each other these falsehoods because it's become our reality. It's become our lives. And we gotta get up and go quote unquote work for the man to keep our bills paid. Well, COVID has shown you that that's not so. Now's the time for you to sit back and say, well, shit, man, we've learned to, you know, put beans and rice in the refrigerator and in the cupboard when we didn't have anything. So when they put us in a position where we don't have anything, man, who gets innovative? Where do they get these ideas from to do different mm-hmm. things? I mean, come on. We already know. So we already know they where just, those ideas come from. They just had a massive uh, strike on TikTok with the black creators. What do you think their next move should be? Because they sh- they've shown that without their presence, it is it's just another drive. Look, I'm gonna tell you something. With without without the presence of black and brown people on the face of this earth, there is no earth. It's just like taking the bees away. And they know that shit. They can talk hate all they want, but they know. You get rid of the melanin, you die too. End of story. You take the bees away, we die. You take the ants away, we die. You get rid of, quote unquote, black and brown people, you die too. Because there's no culture without us. There's no soul without us. They done told us that, you know, remember back in quote unquote, blah, 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 slavery, that we didn't have a soul. Mm -hmm. And the first thing the the preacher does when we finally get, you know, freedom, they tell us, man, you can have, you know, life everlasting after you die. (laughs) Right. After you leave this motherfucker. But while you're here, make sure that you, you know, you take care of all of my goods and build my, my bridges and build my buildings and build my roads and do all you can do for me. And after you done, you know, work yourself up nice and good, 
after you die, you too can true, truly have heaven. And I'm like thinking, if that don't sound like bullshit, I don't know what does. <laughs> Why is he? But let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Huh? Let me ask you a question. A lot of hip hop artists have passed away in the last year or two, like in a rapid rate. Why do you think that is? <laughs> uh, you're gonna have me, somebody come and kill me. Okay, um, <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. Go in on. 1995, actually, I guess it was around 95, um, 95, 96. Easy e went to the White House for a, uh, a dinner, a benefit. Shortly thereafter, Easy e contracted AIDS and died within like what a three week span or some shit some like crazy now easy he been fucking for a long time he's been if you're in if you're in the industry you know anything about easy easy was easy <laughs> easy does it right his wife didn't contract it none of his children contracted it Like R. Kelly, he probably slept with just about as many as women. And I ain't hear none of them come out and say they had AIDS. And I'm like thinking to myself, well, who gave Easy AIDS and how did he die so fast? I've been asking that question for a long time. And I just think that we need to get out of, we need to get out of this idea that we need to be up under such and such to have whatever. Um, getting to night, I mean, uh, to 2020, 2021, and close to 2022. A lot of these uh MCs that we're talking about weren't really living right, and when I say living right, they weren't eating right. A lot of them were obese, a lot of them had drug and and uh and uh alcohol problems, and COVID. COVID, they say, hey, if your immune, if your immune system is, is weak, then you're subject to, to fall victim to the pipe. COVID's going to knock your ass down. And if it hits you in a way that uh, it can, you're going to die from it. Do I think that there's a conspiracy that's going on with COVID? I just think like every everything else that happens where our government is involved, where they're pointing fingers to other countries and blaming this one and that one. And wherever there's that, somebody's not telling the whole truth. And when it comes to hip hop, they try to get rid of hip hop. 95, to be honest with you, what they did was um, in 94, Bad Boy came about. And before that, in 92, um, Death Row came about. And before that, you had Ruthless Records came out. Now, there were other people doing shit too. You had Luke, 
over in Miami doing some shit and shaking right. what your mama gave you and all that other shit. And even in New York, you had Slick Rick talking about treat him like a prostitute. So there's always been sex in hip hop. There's always been drugs in hip hop. There's always been violence and alcohol in hip hop. There's always been uh, masculinity or machismo and braggadocio in hip hop. There's always been the mafia in hip hop um, or the idea of the mafia. That's nothing new. People dying for COVID and all of these hip hop artists who are dying now, I think it's, it's, a, it's a two part thing. Um, is hip hop to blame for a lot of it? Possibly so. And I say that because we don't embrace folks in need. We knew DMX was in need long before he got sick. We knew R. Kelly was in need long before he got arrested. You feel me? And I can and I can mm -hmm. keep going on and on and on and on and on mm -hmm. and on and on about the mistakes that we make because we don't embrace or shelter people who pave the way and right. people who will pave the way. That 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 table that I keep talking about, and hopefully it's a round table. You know, because there shouldn't be any heads at this table. Everybody should realize that if you sit at this table, that we have to come with our egos checked. We have to come with solutions and, and real uh, dialogue that's going to make the difference. Or we're just going to keep getting the same old shit that we keep getting year after year after year after year. They keep killing us in the street. And no one does anything about it. Okay, we go and march and get more folks killed and shot up and more people locked up in jail and all this other shit. But at the end of the day, evidently, that's not the solution. That's not the solution. The solution is, was always there right from the, the door. The reason that the Asians are powerful, the reasons that even Africans who come into this country are more powerful than the, the indigenous folks that have been here forever and ever is because our government says, hey, you're coming from the other countries, we'll subsidize you. We'll make sure that you're good. We'll give you, you know, all of the, the, the uh, all of the, uh, all of the uh, resources that you need to mm -hmm. start a business, to, to help you out. But we can't even get reparations. We can't get it. You get me? We built the country and can't get it. What would you say? What would you say to an upcoming rapper who or or artist, you know, a young artist that's trying to get into this industry? What kind of advice would you give them um, if they're just getting started or if they have a desire to get into this industry? What kind of helpful advice would you give them? I guess what I would say to any artist who's really trying to get into game, to this game, is this really what you want to do? Ask yourself that. And if you're going to get into this game, must you come in from the standpoint of an artist? If you want to become uh, part of the NBA, must you start out as a player um, or, or, or a, a uh, 
a slave for the establishment because the artist is the slave of the establishment. The ball player is the state is the slave of the establishment. Must we always come in from like having enough people, you know, play the slave for you so you can do something else? I mean, I would say, hey, the game is here, but maybe maybe it might not be an idea to think about ways to reinvent the game or or you know add on to the game rather than continuously doing the very very same thing because it's gotten to the point now where it's, it's hard to differentiate one artist from the next and they did that on purpose they did that on purpose anytime you want to shut it off you got the power to shut it off yeah you kill one you kill them all because this, you know, they all sound the same. So, hey, they, you know, they, you know, that old saying, we all look the same. Well, we start sounding the same and looking the same. All I got to do is shut the lights off, get rid of all y'all all at one time. What's the solution for that? Huh? What's the, what's the solution for that? Well, if everything again, sounds the same, again, how can we, how can I, we fix I, that? I think history is, is the solution. I think older artists need to embrace younger artists younger artists need to realize and embrace artists that came before them and realize that if those artists didn't come before them they might not even be where they are i mean because can you imagine if hip-hop was just starting right now think about mm -hmm. that if, what if it didn't start in 79 and there were rappers before that but hip hop, quote unquote, to the hip, to the hippity hop, whatever, yeah, don't stop, <laughs> whatever. That shit started in the late 70s. What if hip hop started 2020? Would it sound like it does right now? No. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. To be honest with you, I think if hip hop didn't start when it started, technology wouldn't have even moved as fast as it has moved. Because mm -hmm. there wouldn't have been any need to. Like we, no. we, we set the pace. Like we, we you know, like I, I, you know, I, you know, I hate to sound like a broken record, but yo, you gotta realize your strength. You gotta realize who you are. If you're in a room, realize that they're looking at you for a reason. You know, people always say, "Man, I step in a room and everybody's eyes is on me." Well, that's for a reason, motherfucker. <laughs> no real right. talk. Yeah, right, right. right. So, when it's when it's all said and done. Huh? When it's all said and done. What man, would you hope? White people eat a mites. Eat a mites. And that's that's really like the, the perfect word to describe who they are even though and that's just who they are that that's 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 the true definition of who they are the edomites sounds and do exactly what that that word sounds like they come in and they eat and they survive off of us parasites they survive off of us and if we choose to separate ourselves 
from them, they might fucking go berserk and and start. They already killing us, you know. But can you imagine if we really, really decided to say, you know what? Fuck y'all. Fuck y'all. No racist shit intended because I'm black. I'm a brown person. I'm indigenous. I cannot be racist. I can be prejudiced as a motherfucker, but I can't be racist. Right. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if I convince, and I think about it, every time we do it, they, they come in and, and swoop. Every time mm-hmm. we, we, we get, you know, our own little communities together, they come in, they kill everybody. Oh, it's a cult. You know? And when they don't come in, it, it awful, uh, today it almost makes you question, why not? Why right. have they done that? Mm-hmm. Man, like, you, you know, why not? Because that seems awfully dangerous, and those folks don't really like for us to be able to 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 really get to point B. So we almost have to be able to get to point B um, through stealth means, and um, it's how we survive this whole thing. But uh, you know, I don't know if I answered that question to whether I think that uh, society is killing off hip hop. When it's all said and done, when it's all said and done. What, I, I got another question for you though. What is, what's a, what's uncolonized CMOS? <laughs> what's this? What's, what's the what? difference? What's the okay. difference between the purple sea and the original sea? First off, sea moss, sea moss mm-hmm. is a superfood. Sea moss, just like people, is not the same everywhere you go. And I'll, and I'll explain that. Okay, you got sea moss that comes from the Atlantic Ocean and the, in the Western world. But in the Western world, we got great oil spills and they got all kinds of pollution in the water, right? Right. Well, sea moss, just like all plants, grow on its surroundings, just like the fish. Like if you're still eating, you know, fish that comes from these local waters, um, I would think about it because at the end of the day, a lot of mercury, a lot of poison. Well, sea moss, this particular sea moss, um, is wildcrafted and it comes out of East African uh, Tanzania. And I'm the face of this company. Okay. Um, we, how has it changed your life? How did it? How did it affect you? Say again. How did it change, like your health? Like, what difference did it okay. make in your health? Okay. Uh, Sea moss is like taking a triple multivitamin every day. Mm-hmm. It's good for circulation. It's good for bone strength. It's good for digestion. It's good for skin clearance and, and keeping your skin clean. Okay. Um, it, it acts as a, uh, a antioxidant. Um, it's great for energy. For men who are having sexual problems, this will fix you. And if you don't believe me, just think about it. If you're from the hood, 
you know, you know, the Jamaicans used to sell, you know, Irish moss all the time. All Irish moss is, is a sort of cream, a sweetener, and sea moss. And, you know, back then, they said the Jamaicans, boy, you want to get up and get you some of this. Well, same thing for women. It's grateful libido. It, you know, this is probably the strongest of all of the superfoods on the planet. And this is why it comes from the sea. In sea moss, you get anywhere from 99 to 102 minerals in sea moss. Mm -hmm. And you literally, like you remember in the Bible, they used to talk about the mana. I believe they were talking about this um, because you can literally live on this and water alone. It gives mm -hmm. you all the vitamins and minerals that you need, and it gives you all the energy that you need, and you can turn it into anything. You can turn it into gel. You can put it in your fruits and your juices, and you can oh, wow. cook with it, and you can make mm -hmm. soaps with it, and you can make capsules with it, and you literally make a living off of sea moss. Um, mm. I always try to tell people, look, if you want to become a distributor of sea moss, get at me. Um, if you want to become a wholesaler, get at me. We are the biggest distributor of East African sea moss in this country. And we plan on becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And we're going to show the world, like, you know, people now on this, these hot words, you know, I'm too old for hot words and trends. You know, I've been doing CMOS since I was a kid because uh, I believed in the Jamaicans. <laughs> <laughs> so, and the Jamaicans uh, set me free. Anyway, what, uh, huh? the, since the name of the show is Powerful Impact. Okay. What well, yeah, are. This will have a powerful impact on your sex game. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> what are. Who are the three most influential people that had a powerful impact in your personal or professional life? Um, can my parents count as one? Yes. Okay, them first. Um, I got three people that have to count as one too. Um, my three powerful mentors are Pee Wee Kirkman, Manny Marad, and Abe Gabay. Um, mm -hmm. They have to count as one because I've learned more about life and business. I was already in business before I met them, and that's probably how I got a chance to be partners with them. Um, but because they were so much older and so much wiser and had already accumulated you know, so much in business. Um, I soaked up everything like a sponge. Okay, third. I would have to say, and this is bigger than a person, um, and I think it's affected us all. The, the, the third largest influence that, have, that has affected my life is the culture of hip hop on a whole. Um, mm -hmm. Because unlike other musics or forms of music, 
as life changes, it seems to morph right into that, that lifestyle and finds its place where other musics have, have lost their way. Um, I think hip hop is something that's gonna always be around because of the culture of it and what it truly stands for and how and where it comes from. And so that would have to be um, the third largest influence on my life. Beautiful. Yes. That was an excellent answer. Um, I really wanted. Hmm? Oh, sorry. Let me just ask a question real quick. YZ, what are the names of your clothing brands? <laughs> I was grabbing them as, you, as we speak. Um, okay. Let's start from the beginning. First off, um, my partner um, is this Mexican cat that lives in Salt Lake City. To look at him, he would look like the average Edomite, but he's actually Mexican. <laughs> I love how you say Edomites. Uh, like, that's going to stay with me. <laughs> okay. Anyway, his name is Joe Baca. Mm -hmm. Joe Baca is, well, he, he comes from the hip-hop world. He was a rapper. And um, that's how he was introduced to me. Um, he came to me with this idea about six or seven years ago to partner with him for this company called 88s, which is a play on 801 um, or uh, Salt Lake City's um, area code. So we started it. Since then, it's morphed into a storefront, um, which is called Even Out, where we do all of our own printing. We do all of our own embroidering. We do everything in-house. Okay. Uh, we have three different uh, brands out of Even Out. We have 88s, um, we have Glitchy Palm, and we also have um, um, Adi Maru, which is another brand. Adi Maru is really like more of like a uh, upscale, uh, conscious kind of vibration. Um, this would probably be, even though this is just a hoodie, um, Oh, let's and see. this is my son's design. And I have okay. shirts here. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can read what that says. Oh, I see. That. Oh, yes. But it says okay. And it has the USA that's, in the beginning. That's the middle, right? I see that. Right? Now, a lot of people, they might not get that. They might not get yeah. that. But I get that completely. And for people who, quote, unquote, are woke, Adi Maru is that. It's like you'll, you'll see the images and, and it'll strike a chord with you. Here's another one. Now this is gonna seem a bit weird and you're probably gonna wonder why I have this on here. I don't know if you can read that, but it says dope brains. Mm. And what you got there is you got a pot, you got a fork, you got Pyrex, and you got baking soda. Mm -hmm. And it's called dope friends. And the design, that's another one of my son's designs. But when I saw it, I loved it because the truth is America, America on a whole was built on raping, pillaging, 
drugs, and alcohol, mm -hmm. and free labor. And when I look at these shirts, that's what I see. You got a happy bunch of byproducts, right? And mm -hmm. parts that create the whole vibration of the 80s. And we all know what that was. Yeah. We all know what that was. So then you got stuff like this. Um, you know, I managed a bunch of groups and stuff. And there was a time I was working with this group out of Houston. Oh, that looks nice. Called Radio Galaxy. And this is oh. something I did for them. It's like a bunch of different masks. Yeah. And, and, crown. Them, and then I, you know, I, I do a bunch of stuff. So, what's the name? What's the names of your clothing brand? Um, the, the, I told you, you got Adi Maru. Adi Maru, okay. Adi Maru. You got Glitchy Palm. Glitchy Palm is really like just what it sounds like, like itchy palms. Um, very um, glitzy. Um, and we do it all. We 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 don't just do tops. Um. We're going to be doing sneakers, um, jeans, you know. Um, I even want to get into suits at some point. But just, you know, you got to start somewhere. So until we build it to where, you know, people are constantly, you know, buying our products, um, you know, we just take it a step at a time. Um, right now, we're based out of Salt Lake City. I, I have businesses in different parts of the country. Okay. But Salt Lake mm -hmm. City was really good to me. And so that's where we are. Uh, with that. Who are some of the artists you're working with today? Um, Sig Burnout of Salt Lake City. Um, you can look him up online. Sig Burnout is C-I-G-B-U-R-N-A, Sig Burnout. Then out of Houston, Texas, um, a, a guy by the name of Dollar Bill, which is D-O-L-L-A-B-X-L-L. -L -L. You can catch him and his single on, on you know, all music platforms right now. Um, I was working with this guy out of, uh, two, two artists out of Philadelphia. Um, I have a cousin, his name is Manny. He goes by Hollywood Jones. And so he's another one that I'm doing some, some stuff with. And then I produce a lot of music too. So, you know, actually I'm, I'm making some stuff right now for quite a few people. I'm about to submit some stuff to Smooth B and Greg Nice. Um, I'm submitting some stuff to Mellow Man Ace because all of these guys are still making music. Uh, Daddy O's already used some of my stuff already. Um, I don't know if you remember EST from Three Times Dope. You remember yeah. that group, Three Times Dope? Mm -hmm. Dope? Yes. Yeah, I remember that. And then I also submit stuff to like the, the artists that like the, that I'm working with too, even though I'm really like their, their manager slash mentor i make music and if they like it they like it they take it they take it out you know we try to keep yeah. it going right so, so when all is said and done what do you want your legacy to be yes what do you want to be remembered for i think if if i had to be remembered for anything i would hope that that uh you know no one's perfect but I would hope that people remember me as a man and that, you know, I tried to stand up for what I consider to be right. And I would like to try to be remembered for, um, 
trying to make the, the difference for the good. Um, mm-hmm. In regards to hip hop, um, you know, I'm from Jersey, so Jersey gets a bad rap when it comes to, to other, you know, cities because, again, we're not afraid to take the back. Um, but I'm glad that, that when people talk about, you know, a young artist coming out of Jersey, started his own production company while he's still in high school, they, they, they mention me. Um, um, which I think is really cool that, you know, I put a lot of people into the game. And a lot of people don't know that I manage different groups like UTD, which had most death in it. And, you know, that I've signed Poor Righteous Teachers to their first record deal. And, you know, a lot of people, they don't know these things. They don't know that, you know, um, that Lord Finesse and Wu-Tang and all of these people crossed my desk and, and Adolf Assassin and that I was you know, one of the youngest people on Broadway in the same building as the source with a record company and production company, they, they, they don't look at me. They, you know, they look at other people. And I don't mind that they don't look at me, but, but, but again, like I said, even though perception might be stronger than fact, it doesn't supersede fact. And right, so when, that's people, right. when people do their research, they say, hey, wasn't he here doing such and such? Or hey, Man, all these kids wearing locks, you know, wasn't he doing that before, you know, such and such? Or could, mm-hmm. couldn't he have been part of that inspiration? Well, Bob Marley was mine, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Bob Marley was mine, and, you know, I loved him and still do. Yeah. And all of I his just... children and all of their legacies. Um, I would hope that people remember me as a man that you know, they tried to be upstanding and, you know, in business, you know, people kind of get, get it twisted. You know, when you, when you, when you're American and a melanated American and you do business, um, it's, it's real hard to gain trust from people. And when they trust you, you almost have to do 10 times the, the work to, to make things happen. But in business, not everything is promised. Like, you know, you, you, you know, it's, it's hit or miss, but mm-hmm. with us, they want you to hit every time, but yet you can play the stock market. You can even play this game with cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Cryptocurrency wasn't made for trade, but the banks got involved and now they got everybody trading, which that's totally against what cryptocurrency was even started about. You know, they didn't mm-hmm. start it for that. They started because they wanted to, to be in the black market away from the establishment. And I just think that if people remember me, I hope they remember that I tried to do the do what I felt was was positive and progressive for our culture. I guess if I had to think about it, you had me really thinking about it. I think that that's, that's the statement that people remind that, that if they remember, remember me for anything that they, in the, in the culture of hip hop, that they remember me for trying to do what I thought was positive and progressive for the culture. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And I truly want 
to tell you I appreciate you coming and doing this interview because I think Jersey artists don't get the shine they deserve. And I always thought that you didn't get the shine that you deserved. Um, I've listened to you since you came out. I've always thought you were just as dope and just as relevant. And what you talked about was progressive for our time. And what you did was progressive for our culture. And I just want to thank you for taking your time and coming here. I hope you would come, you'll come again because you have so much knowledge and so much richness of living that sharing it with the world could help so many people. And I just want to take the time to tell you, I truly appreciate all you've done for our culture. I appreciate you. And uh, to be honest with you, um, you know, they say when uh, you're in the studio, you can crack the door and let God in the room. Well, I guess sometimes you crack the door and the devil's in the room. So if this interview went the way you saw fit, then I think it's, it's not because of me, it's because of us. Um, energy is what we make it. And either, you know, we already know we can't create it, we already know we can't destroy it, but what we can do is agitate it. We can agitate it. And so this group agitated this conversation. And so I'm glad that it was uh, it was with you guys and you ladies. And, uh, and I appreciate your time and your energy. And I appreciate that we were able to, to do something that I hope hits somebody or talks to somebody or speaks to somebody's soul or helps them to realize that, you know, we are the power. We are the power. Not That's I am right. the power, but we are the power. And if we can really take I out of our thought process and think about how powerful we are as a unit. Man, we are one. Imagine like the, man, like the, 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 the boundaries that we would cross would be we, phenomenal. phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> we would get so far. We, I just want to thank everybody for watching. Um, powerful impact. I want to thank you, Goddess, for showing up and showing out. I appreciate you. And YZ, this has been amazing. No, you guys are amazing. It, That's what made it amazing. I, you know, I'm pretty simple. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. All right, this is it. Oh, will you let people know where they can where they can reach you at? Your social um, media. Funny thing is, I don't really like social media, so but I but I found that I have to to play it. But go to Uncolonized Seamoss on Instagram and follow this company because this company is about to do 
really amazing things for your community is going to be an economic strength for your community and it's going to make you healthy it's going to fix your teeth and fix your blood and fix your circulation and fix your health and all of the people that have been using our products they praise it and, and you know so i you know i appreciate the fact that this product is coming from the motherland this is from tanzania tanzania here okay. like so you know where people say hey man I, my 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 moss came out of ireland guess what mine came out of africa <laughs> and i'm feeling that and guess what african waters are not polluted as some of these other places that have you know and not to say that africa because you know people to try to you know make it seem like africa is some like bush town like you know like it's, it's a bush continent that's not true mm -hmm. no. but it's it's less tainted than so many other places and so you can catch me here um you can also catch me at the black bank if you're on instagram the black bank i mm -hmm. also have a few other uh instagrams um critical thinker was mine um blm gang is mine um I actually have a company called BLM Gang that that you know I incorporated some time ago. I just haven't done anything with it because you know I, I really was it was about the Black Love Movement, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and uh, you know I was really like trying to really push that, but I don't want to I don't want to compete with Black Lives Matter because Black Lives do matter, and for people who try to fight against that or try to you know. When you weren't saying, hey, all lives matter, if, if people weren't saying Black Lives Matter, would you be saying all lives matter? No, you would be just, you know, privileged that your life matters and those people who were getting killed in the street didn't matter because if they did, you wouldn't be, you know, here right now. You wouldn't be talking this shit. The fact that, you know, now you got different cultures saying Black Lives Matter, now all of a sudden you have to have, mm -hmm. you know, your, your self in a tizzy or your, you know, your ass in an uproar because Black Lives Should Matter. And there, there shouldn't be any question to why, you know, we all we know already that other lives matter and gay lives matter and blah, 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 blah. And mm -hmm. Lord knows like ants and, and fleas and everybody, you know, <laughs> if you're living in that. <laughs> but until Black Lives Matter became a, why is he about the a, uh, a force, I mean, all of a sudden, you know, you, you want to come out and, and, and diss it by saying, well, all lives matter, don't they? No. Truth is, we're talking about black people. And if you can't respect black people and their lives, then fuck you. Period. <laughs> there you go. Respect right there with you. Clothing, clothing line. Mic drop. We already did. Thank yeah. you so much. No, no, that you. that is that is the way. That is the way to end the podcast with that right there. Because I am unapologetically black all the time. So thank you for that. Thank you. All right, everybody. We're going to say peace out. Good night, guys. Peace. Peace.